Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Teacher Tales. I'm so glad you're here, and we have a guest today. Her name is Tamara, and I would like her to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about herself. Hi, everyone. First, thank you so much for letting me be part of your wonderful show, your podcast. I'm very excited to be here. I have retired from 35 years of teaching, um, and of that 35 years, uh, only about a year and a half was in a traditional classroom. The rest of it was spent in dropout prevention programs, working with the state's juvenile justice programs, including uh, juvenile detention center, and then using uh, technology uh, at the school level and at the district level, helping both teachers and students use technology Um, and teaching teachers how to use that technology with their students. Wow. Just like many teachers I found that that I've talked to as guests with Teacher Tales, um, many hats, many talents. And again, it just brings to, to light and just to the heart how special teachers are. Not, you know, other jobs, they don't ask their employees to do 50 different kinds of jobs and have that you know, breadth and depth of talents, but teachers will step up and do whatever they have to do and whatever they have to learn um, in order to be the teacher that they need to be for those kids and for the profession. So thank you for all of that. Uh, I know you're also a certified Google for education trainer. So I'm sure teachers ears are picking up right now after the pandemic, or I should say we're still in it and they've Um, had to learn a lot about technology. And we were talking earlier, like the good, the bad, and the ugly of it, uh, and how we navigated through it. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about that. And then what do you think is going to stay? And what do you think uh, is going to go from technology and what we've learned with technology and the use of it in the pandemic? Right. We can definitely talk about that. That would be wonderful. I do know that this last year and a half or almost, yeah, almost year and a half really has been um, a big uh, awakening for a lot of people, a lot of districts around the country uh, that did not put uh, a lot of their capital into Uh, working with their technology infrastructure or their internet capabilities or their devices that they had in the schools. Um, So yeah, of course we can talk about that. 
as far as going into a school, I think like uh, we've, I talked in our last, you know, one of the previous podcasts to a librarian who felt that, you know, the librarian was a little um, under uh, appreciated and her role in the school and how important it is. Do you sometimes feel that the tech specialist is that way too, that um, I know sometimes I've seen them just like, you're just the gatherer of the laptops and the one who changes the batteries and make sure they're going online and stuff like that. But it's so much more than that. Right. Well, first of all, my job was teacher technology, um, training teachers. My job um, of the, since from 2006 to 2020 was working with teachers and their students, not necessarily setting up the laptops and things like that. That was the school-based technology specialist's job to do those things. And I do think that it's, we call it the man behind the curtain, like the Wizard of Oz. They, they don't realize how much work that person is doing. Um, some schools, they might have um, a thousand devices. And this person has to keep all of those updated, no viruses, online, working, repaired if there's damage. Um, and they, they're under a lot of pressure to keep those things going, especially this last year and a half. I do think not so much that they're underappreciated. I do think they're appreciated, but I think that because they're that man behind the curtain, unless you see them, you don't think of them as doing something because a lot of what they do is in that tiny back room off the cafeteria or the library or some, you know, storage room where they've got racks and racks of computers and um, network equipment and the hubs and the switches and, and the UPS, all those things. So I think, because they're in there working and nobody sees what they're doing, they sometimes think they're not really doing something. I think because a lot of teachers are go, 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 you know, 100% of the time they're running around the classroom. They're, they've got a thousand things each day, but they're, I think they involve more movement <laughs> from one room. So, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I do think that sometimes they are not as appreciated as they could be. Mm -hmm. So explain a little bit what your role was with the teachers and uh, the relationship you had with them and how they either, like the experiences you had with them, like embracing the technology or maybe pushing back against the technology, right. uh, that sort of thing. Um, well, there's always people that are willing to try the new things and, um, those folks generally are, are going to be fine with it. Uh, our, our role was to go and uh, introduce ourselves at faculty meetings and say, look, we are here to help you if you want to work with your students to get online, to go to some uh, educational websites, to uh, do some research, to create some products, especially since we were a Google for Education district. Um, learning to get into Google Drive and create their own documents and slideshows and all of these slew of other products that Google has that almost it, there's it's un, infinite almost how much um, that company has for students to work with. Um, and, and it was great for the teachers that embraced it. Um, 
but there were also teachers who were reluctant, technology reluctant people. And uh, I, I do think this is funny. I was thinking about this in preparation for today. A lot of us um, were older teachers and we were from the day when you say brought, bought a printer and it came with a CD to install the software on it or, or God forbid those little three and a quarter inch floppies. Right. Um, and you put that in there and you just hope and pray when you started that install that you didn't get the blue screen of death and then totally hose your whole computer because you just wanted to add a printer to it. You know, and I think that that paranoia or I can't get it to turn on or I can't get it to turn off or I can't make this work. Back in the day, computer usage and technology usage, it was a struggle. You had to know your stuff to really make it work. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a little past the days of DOS and programming like that. But um, I think that that was became an ingrained fear. And so these people in the classroom don't want anything to do with technology, because if I take the kids to the lab and something's not working, it's going to get out of control and I, I, I won't know what to do. And that was our job was to go and be with them, to model for them what to do. And if it did get out of control, like, well, what's plan B? Let's come up with one. Um, but kind of that mentor in the room is, mm-hmm. was our job. And we did a lot of district training too, like electronic grade books. Um, every teacher was dictated to have a website where, uh, or a web page anywhere where parents could go and, and get the newsletters and things like that. And, and just even those little things, um, as more technology, uh, like textbooks came online and how do I access my textbook and how do I get the resources in the textbook or how do I um, navigate these websites and work with students uh, to make sure I'm communicating with them and their parents online. So we, we did a lot of district teacher focused trainings, but we also did a lot of in the classroom with you and your students training. Mm-hmm. I think that, that those are great points you made about, uh, you know, the whole thing of, with teachers feeling that it may not be reliable or they're not comfortable with it because they're, they want the technology to work and it doesn't. So they feel, I don't know, let down, disappointed, betrayed, I don't know, and <laughs> disempowered maybe. And I really think that it's just like anything in life. It's the mindset that you have and how you look at it and how you're going to approach it. Like you said, if it doesn't work, have a plan B. Um, right. But technology is so empowering. Going back to what I said earlier about during the pandemic, the technology is what empowered the teachers to still reach their students, to right. still communicate with their students, to still teach their students and be with their students. And there was, there was a lot to be learned and there was a learning curve, like what you mentioned earlier, there weren't a lot of things in place, devices or internet, you know, strength, Wi-Fi, all of this other stuff. So we've learned from that. And I think a lot of districts and of course with federal funding, they're gonna maybe address, you know, a lot of those issues. So I think we have to look at technology as empowering and not as disempowering. Uh, So, and you had talked earlier about underestimating students and teachers' abilities. 
with right. especially with technology and the whole practice and procedures. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, first, another thing that I like to tell teachers is that you need to be patient with your number one student. Your number one student is not going to get everything right the first time. They're not going to be perfect the first time. And your number one student is you. You can't, can't be perfect and know how to do that program or that website or that textbook or teach this lesson or go to the lunchroom uh, when everybody's lined up correctly that first time. So I, I think teachers become, they get this mindset that I have to be perfect the first time I try it. I've got to get it the first time. And there's, they will give a student a million different chances to do that skill and they'll teach them 20 different ways and, and, and be so patient with them and peer help and other teacher help and, and, and they'll do anything they can to get that kid going, but no patience with themselves. When we would go in and train with them, we would say, you know, this is not our perfect day. This is our practice day. It's not our panic day. It's our practice day. Not perfect, not panic practice. And that seemed to help, you know, um, teachers have procedures for everything. Uh, In that first week, as you know, um, you know, I know you were uh, probably uh, subjected to the Harry Wong theory of procedures, 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 procedures for everything. If you spend that first one or two weeks with procedures and practicing everything from going to lunch how we go to music class versus PE class, how we get on the bus, how we get to the bus line and from the bus line, how we go to uh, get, get our lunch trays and dispose of them after lunch. All of these procedures that we practice with students over and over and over again for that first two weeks, that sets that tone. And then students don't have to learn that. They've practiced it every day. Um, but Sometimes teachers would, because they've sort of put their hand up to the technology and said, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. They don't really have a procedure for using the technology. They go to the computer lab and go get a, go get a computer, they say. And every kid runs for the first computer or they want to sit by their friends. So they're pushing each other out of the chairs and, or they've got a cart of laptops tops and they say go get a computer and there's a herd of little rhinoceroses going for that <laughs> cart and you know ripping those cords out and putting those laptops back at the end of the day if they put them back um, in the wrong slots and it's just ne- not knowing a procedure for those things so if you practice everything else it makes sense to practice things like using the technology um And if you only use the technology once a week for whatever testing day you have, or, you know, because you were put there for activity wheel, if you only do that once a week, if if your students are five, seven, 10 years old, even, or, you know, if they're kids, it's like the first time, every time you go, if you only go once a week, but if you're using these things consistently every day or so, and they're learning how to log in and where my seat is, which computer in which slot in the cart is mine and how I unplug it and how I plug it back in and how I make sure I'm t- treating the uh, equipment respectfully. Um, that's going to 
become an everyday routine, just like going to lunch. Yeah. It's going to become the routine. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm going to take it a little step further and make a connection because that's my, my jam is I'm really big on connections. That during the pandemic, I think that's where the teachers and the students were really face planted for a while because there were no procedures, especially with technology. They really didn't, you know, they had to establish a procedure kind of virtually or at long distance of making sure you're at your computer at a certain time, making sure it's all charged up at a, you know, and ready to go, making sure you have your routine of either having your camera on or doing something in the chat. And it just took a while, but it was new territory for the teachers. And I think what you said about the procedure in the classroom with laptops and technology is a great reflection on how it manifested during the pandemic as well. And teachers are such procedural people. I just had this like epiphany or this connection of like, why then is it so difficult with technology? Because technology is just a procedure and clicking here, here and here and knowing. And so we should be really good at that and be open to that. And, you know, it kind of organizes the world and organizes learning and gives us multiple opportunities and pathways to practice. I mean, that should be education, you know, whether it's social <laughs> studies or technology or math or PE or the lunchroom or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it should. And, and I think, you know, teachers, they need to give themselves that break, but they also need to realize that just because the kid is five, does not mean that they can't do it. You see these little guys with their parents' phones and they are going to town. And yeah, they're where is Thumpkin, where is Thumpkin with their two thumbs on the screen. The hardest one thing for the kids to learn if they're five is when they get to school is to use their index finger to tap letters they want to do with their thumb. <laughs> Every letter with their thumb. Like, no, 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 little guy, you got 10 fingers. Let's use them all. Um, so, you know, but I mean, this is, this is an embarrassing story. So we had a program in our county where schools could apply to receive a grant with which their school was um, then awarded with uh, like 10 laptop parts. And sometimes they, we, we had Chromebooks. And um, so that those kids in, in, in those classrooms and the teachers got like 10 days of training on how to use the cards daily with the kids. And, you know, we went in and mentored with them. So I had a first grade class and it was towards the end of the year. And so they were almost second graders. And so their teacher asked me like, you know what? These guys are whiz bang on all this stuff. Can you come in and show them something cool? Like where they really, really can, can get into this and learn some more like, like adult technology techniques. And so I was running like two or three minutes late and I am booking down the hallway and usually I'm going, oh, it's going to take him 10 minutes to log in, you know, because I don't know how much the teacher has actually practiced. So I walk in the door and every little kid, and this is two minutes late, every little kid is got their Chromebook on their laptop, uh, on their desk. Their Chromebook is logged in. They are connected to the Wi-Fi. They are in their Google Drive and they are ready to go. And I was so embarrassed. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm late. I've wasted two minutes of your time. So because they had done those procedures all year, it was no big deal. It was just like, oh, you go, here's how you go to the pencil sharpener. Here's how you get your Chromebook going. You know, I mean, 
It was wonderful. And what we ended up doing were they were studying um, value of money. So like five pennies equal a nickel, two nickels or a dime, and then, you know, five pennies plus a nickel. So we did a Google slideshow and on each slide um, they did what money equals. So they learned to, they, they already knew how to type at that time, um, but typing at the top, you know, one nickel equals five pennies. And then they'd put a picture of a nickel on a picture of five pennies. And then they started getting fancy, like, uh, oh, well, I would like these pennies to be surrounded by a text box or, or like a shape. And I want to color the shape this color. And so then, uh, oh, well, my pennies are now behind this shape. Well, let's go right click on that stinker and let's say send backwards. And so they learned like right click, send back, which on a Chromebook is like a double tap thing. Um, they learned how to format all of these things. They learned how to duplicate slides so they didn't have to type all that stuff again. They learned so much stuff that many adults I taught did not know. But because their teacher had said, I don't care if you're in first grade, you can do this you can do it. Why, why even tell them that they're too little? Cause they're not too little. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're not. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I'm, I might get this wrong, but I think it was Teddy Roosevelt said that if, if you believe you can, that's all that, I mean, that's like, it. <laughs> if you believe you yeah. can, then you will. So, yeah, or if you believe you can't, you're also correct. <laughs> exactly. 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 And so I love that, that you, pointed out that the teacher believed that they could do it, even though they were in first grade. And that's the power of a teacher and the power of believing. And, and you uh, know, it was wonderful to tell these almost second graders, you know, most adults can't do this. And they were like, oh, really? They're, they got all so <laughs> proud of themselves. And it, but I was telling them the truth. Yeah. So it was, it was very, it was very good. Yeah. Um, especially after having so many people tell me they, they they can't do it. I can't get my, my students will never be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Procedures. Yeah. Procedures and the belief that, of you know, the power of positivity. Yes, yeah. I can. Yes, I can. So, um, so why did you become a teacher? And, and you, you went into, uh, like you said, the, the dropout prevention and the juvenile justice, you know, and then you, so take us on a little um, abbreviated <laughs> tour of how you went from, you know, deciding to become a teacher to your first steps in teaching and then how you uh, evolved into, you know, the tech person and a right. you know, certified Google trainer. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. Um, well, I really had no choice. Uh, I wanted to be a teacher since I was in primary school. I would come home from second grade and I would, my mom had gone down to the county when they were getting rid of old school desks and she had bought a couple of these old little, you know, the super heavy metal desks <laughs> with, the, with the little book case inside of it, the book contain like a um, little pocket, like cubby hole underneath you. And, and you know, they had, people had scratched their names in the stuff and she sanded them all off and she painted them all beautiful. So I would come home and as seven years old and put my little two-year-old brother in a desk. <laughs> he had a little chalkboard set up and I would have school with him. And um, I make him little worksheets and, 
you know, I really messed him up because the time he was in kindergarten, he could count to a hundred, knew his ABCs, he knew all his shapes. Like he could tell you oval from circle, um, rectangle from square. And um, he could read some sight words, do simple math. And he was like three or four. So um, totally, totally hosed his, his education because he actually, from two years old, he was in school with me went on to get his business degree, his law degree, and then his medical degree. <laughs> so he was in school for like unbelievable amount of time. Oh, uh, so, but anyway, so I, I want, I just always wanted to be a teacher, always wanted to be a teacher. And you know, all of those, what career is right for you questionnaires, boom, always a teacher. Um, so I actually have a little bit of dyslexia and dyscalculia, which is basically dyslexia with numbers. Um, and so I was diagnosed in um, like between, I guess around third grade. And at that point they were just like, oh, well, here's how you help her, make her read. <laughs> okay. So, but my dad would take me to the bookstore and uh, it was special to go any place with my dad alone um, because uh, it was five kids. So you never went with one parent alone but I couldn't go back and have another day with dad until I read that book and told him what it was about. Um, the unfortunate part was he started me out on books that he had read, which were older um, novels from um, like, you know, forties, fifties. Uh, so I like read all the Tarzan of the Apes series um, and a whole lot of other things that would have been above my level, but he also got me a dictionary and I would sit down and look up all the words and then, even if I said them wrong, I was getting good comprehension. So I learned to say a lot of words after I learned to read them. <laughs> so, and um, math, I kind of just really, that one really poofed out on me, um, but we'll get back to that. So anyway, always wanted to be a teacher. That reading part of it with my dad made me fall in love with reading and books. And so I was like, oh, I really want to be a reading teacher or a language arts teacher. Um, those were the classes I also liked best in school. Um, and, and then media would have been another one, like a librarian. Um, so that's what I went to school for. I just always had that laser focused, this is what I want to do. And it just never changed my mind. So um, when I first started teaching, uh, this would have been 1985. Um, it, it wasn't hard to get a job, but it was, it was not easy either. So I ended up getting a job um, like four days into the school year, which, you know, procedures, 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 they were already wild. And, um, but that was okay. It was a good year. It was a learning experience. The next year I didn't have a position. So I, took the year off to think and, and do some writing and, and stuff like that and work with my dad on some different projects that he had. But um, the following year, um, it, around that time, the state of Florida came up with dropout prevention. And their goal at that time was just get them to stay in school, get them to like school in some form or fashion, give them a reason to go, get them there, give them the reason to go, and make them have a positive school experience. Because as uh, any teacher can tell you, not every kid has a positive school experience. So um, the neat thing at that point was they didn't care what your certification was. I was just six, six through 12 language arts. And 
they offered me that job on the same day I got offered another job in which I would have been teaching like four advanced language arts classes, which, you know, is like every language arts teacher's dream, right? And then another couple Spanish classes. Well, not really good at Spanish right here. <laughs> so I, I looked at myself and I said, no, do we want to suffer through learning Spanish again after the three years in high school that we really don't remember and still have that really nice experience with language arts? Or do we want to teach every kind of subject like it would have been, it was every subject all day long and um because they wanted the kids just with one teacher so they didn't have the stress of going from class to class they did go out for one or two other classes but mostly they they were with me and I taught them all their subjects their their core subjects um but I thought to myself who can I help more who, who needs more help it's these kids that are having a struggle in school and not these kids that are in advanced language arts and also taking Spanish. I mean, that's, it's not it. So that's where I got into dropout prevention. And um, from there, moving around the state to different, different districts, um, handing out my resume. Uh, one day I handed my resume in at a, a middle school in the new county I was moving to. And the guy, uh, the principal said, oh, um, you know what? I'm going to give your resume to somebody. And he gave it to the guy that was the, um, wasn't like the principal, like that was the role, but the, their, their title, their job title was not principal at the juvenile detention center in the County. And he called me and he was like, yeah, this job is made for you. And they needed a, a language arts reading teacher, dropout prevention teacher for the juvenile detention center in our County. So I went and interviewed and it was just like, wow, this is the most amazing thing. I would love this job. And I was there for nine years. Um, it, it, it was very challenging. And a lot of people say, oh, well, weren't you afraid? And yeah, there's always times you're afraid, but you're afraid in the regular classroom. Um, I had the knowledge that all of my students, um, other than if they got arrested last night, that they came to school fed, clothed had gotten a night's sleep or at least had the opportunity to get a night's sleep. Um, they were unarmed and not on drugs. So, I mean, really the, the student body was, was pretty good. Um, and it was fun because every day was the first day for somebody. So I was on stage doing that first day show every day. And I think that that was part of what made me then go on to going technology as teaching adults because adults need that show for them to pay attention to you. Um, so anyway, 1997, I went to this uh, district workshop on this brand new thing. It was called the internet. I was immediately smitten <laughs> and went down that rabbit hole as fast as the legs would carry me, man. I would, I would go into school on the weekends and I would go onto our one internet connected computer and I would just, oh, it was just hilarious. I just couldn't get it out of my head. Now we had already had a computer assisted learning program. Oh, that's where I was going with that. We'll talk about that next. So anyway, uh, I got into that and then I just decided I would like to start doing technology as my, as my, my passion. So I, um, started the a master's degree in educational technology at that point. Um, but before that, I had some ex computer experience at the juvenile detention center 
Um, we had a computer assisted learning program um, that the kids basically you just did math and reading lessons and it walked you through step by step um, to to teach you um, your basic skills because so many of these kids are um, lacking of those basic skills and they need help catching up and the computers because it personalizes the learning for you each kid that they they're own they're learning at their own pace so I said to myself if this stinker can teach me math after my dyscalculia problems and my not successful um, math history um, it could teach anybody so every day during lunch or after school um, with the, the kids and they were out of the classroom, I would sit down and I would do a lesson or two of math. So it was 15 to 30 minutes a day. And I learned math by using these computer assisted program. So it made me confident in myself for math and more confident in using technology and understanding it and believing in myself more that I could do these things. So then when I got into that technology education degree program, thinking about how can we get other people, other teachers to start using the technology and showing their kids more than these four walls and a stack of books. I love that. I love that so much because it's, it's, it just validates that whole idea again of empowering, empowering teachers, empowering students, empowering learning. Uh, you know, the technology is not to be something looked at as disempowering. It doesn't have to be the, I think a lot of teachers look at it too, as like, oh my gosh, this is like, I'm going to be replaced by this computer or the computer can't do what I can do. And, you know, I, I can't control the computer or this is what they want me to do. And it's in conflict with their teacher heart of that relationship with the kids and, you know, the, the little hugs with the kids and right. being able to determine the path that the kid's going to take for their learning journey or whatever. They can still do all of that. But again, they have to be, you know, have procedures and practice themselves first and get comfortable with it, at least comfortable enough, but not perfection. Right. It's just our practice day, people. Just our practice day, mm-hmm. not panic day. <laughs> yeah, give yourself permission for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and it's hard for teachers to do that. And it's hard for them to give up that um, mentality that each kid has to do everything on their own. Um, that, you know, when we get in, it's funny, we, we sit in these desks for 12 years, or at least you and I did. I think it's less and less prevalent now. Um, every single person in that room did every single thing, exactly the same thing as everybody else on their own. We all did the same work. We all read the same stories. We didn't do anything together. And then when you get out in the world of work, what do they want you to do? They want you to work as a team. If you and I were working on a project, would we each do the whole project? No, we would say, oh, your superpower is, you're really good at these things. Oh, Tam, your superpower is, oh, like the grammatical errors and, and punctuation. Why don't you do the proofreading? And I'll do the main, the main researching. That makes sense. And so I think teachers, it's hard for them to get to that. Um, it's almost like you're the conductor of the orchestra. And here's the string section. They're working on their project. Here's the percussion section. They're doing their thing. And here's the, the you know, 
oh, there's that crazy drummer over there. But, you know, that's that's how drummers work sometimes. <laughs> so, but to get into that mode of I'm I'm the conductor of the orchestra and each part of the orchestra is doing its own part of the song of the piece that we're playing and realizing that each kid has their superpowers and and that they should be encouraged to develop those things they're super good at and try as well as they can to get better at the things they're not but expecting every single student to do every single thing I think that that that's where technology helps us is that we can learn how to do things together work together and honestly that's the goal for school and that's the goal for really parents is that you want this little person to be self-sufficient when they grow up Uh, I would tell kids all the time dude I am not coming to your house when you are 30 and showing you how to right click learn how to do it now (laughs) you know they would be what (laughs) so because I, I don't want you to have to rely on somebody else. I want you to be able to figure it out on your own. Um, we've all had even that kid in the class that they want to do everything for everybody else. You know, this one's not typing fast enough. So that one goes over and types for him. Are you going to his house and doing all his chores for him later on? Because right now what you're teaching that kid is that you will do his stuff for him you will work his work for him. So, and then I'd tell the other kid, you know what you need to do? You need to say, Hey, come over, wash my mom's car, do all our laundry because you're doing everything for me now. So like they they get in that bad habit of if you're not fast enough or you're not, this is not your superpower. You're not good at it right now. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to limp you along and you're never going to learn it because I'm doing it for you. So I think that's part of the technology thing too is that we need to say look we're all developing it but let's develop our superpowers the things we're really good at and let's use those things because if you have a superpower generally it's something you like isn't that probably going to be related to a a, a career you're going to have probably I mean that was me I fell in love with reading and then I wanted to be a reading teacher and then I was and then I fell in love with technology And that's where I went because those became my superpowers and I developed them not by having other people do it for me. Yep. Giving them the opportunity and the pathway and the power to do it. Yeah. Believing in them. You can do it. You Mm -hmm. can do it. I love it. I love it. So are you ready to fill in the blanks? So I think with testing, and I say this every episode, because I think this is one of my major um, messages with Spirit of Teaching is that what we've talked about a lot, every child is an individual, we need to empower them with their learning journey and um, give them the support and the cheering to, to you know, find their voice, uh, play their own special tune in the orchestra. And so there are no wrong answers. There's just, it doesn't have to be one word, just complete the sentence. Okay. All right. Multiple choice. Okay. So teaching is preparing people to be successful in life. Technology can help you discover the world. 
Love it. As a language teacher, that was always, I, I love technology because I could get the kids out of the classroom and into the real world with guest speakers or visiting, you know, Google Earth, visit the country. I mean, it was just, it was wonderful. Yes, so, yes. Yeah, and so. you, exactly. You can't take them on a, on a field trip for two weeks to France, but darn it, you can take them on a virtual field trip and see it all in an hour. Yes. And it has almost the same impact if you, if you present it the right way or a certain way and engage the students in a certain way, yes. empowering them, not just showing a slideshow, you know, <laughs> they're not a participant in it. So, okay, my advice to new teachers would be? Oh, my advice to new teachers would be, it, it's, it's, it's a little dual fold. Um, stay away from the, the negative people. There are a lot of other teachers that, you know, they might just need to vent and get off their chest what's going on in their classroom that's frustrating them but you'll develop a, a sick sense for which person is just not happy either with their life or their job. And don't, don't hang out with them. Don't, don't let them affect you. Don't, it, it, it's, it's awful to say, don't listen to someone, but don't take that internally. Don't, don't believe what they say when they say something bad about kids or a class of kids or whatever, if that class of kids likes you and you have a good connection with them as a teacher and you're having a good time in class, that's fine. So I, I think the twofold is stay away from those negative people and don't take negativity into your own teaching practice, but then also expand your teaching practice and don't be afraid of new things. Um, the teachers that were not afraid to use technology, um, they had much less problems during the pandemic and getting online than those who had been technology reluctant and steered themselves away from it. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's bad. I used to show a little clip from Groundhog Day in my trainings. Um, and it was the little part where he finally wakes up and it's the next day. And the girl asks him, uh, is, he says, oh, something is different. And the girl says, is that bad or good? And he says, anything different is good. And so that's, just, it's new. It's okay. It's, it's okay to be uncomfortable with it. We're all uncomfortable with new things, but anything different is good. So steer away from the negative and expand your practice with things that are new. Challenge yourself and be patient with yourself. I think we're going to leave it there with a, that's a super powerful message to teachers as they're ending this very, very difficult school year uh, with a lot of technology, a lot of growth, a lot of challenges, and believing that next year uh, they can still use some of the technology for good. Um, they can empower themselves and their students with the technology and that school be better with all those procedures and practices, but not perfection. Yeah, I, I do think it's important that we recognize um, that technology is the wave of the future as far as this is going. And I don't think that it's going to go away. I think 
as we go back to in-person schooling, um, knock on wood, um, that we realize that we can still do a lot of things with technology um, and that we should give kids the opportunity to, to say, what, where is their direction going? Um, if a kid comes to you and says, oh, I don't really wanna do a slideshow, I would really rather make a video. If the video is gonna meet the rubric expectations, why can't they make a video? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and, and that's, that's where technology is, is teaching these kids that they don't have to just do things the same old way and neither do we. That's how key, teaching stays fresh and we can stay fresh. So in yes. our practices. Well, That's thank true. you, Tamara, so much. You had a lot of very insightful, uh, profound and powerful uh, ideas about teaching and uh, advice for teachers and insights and inspirations as well. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for asking me to be part of this. I, um, uh, I, 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 I do miss being able to, to communicate with other teachers. I mean, other than my friends that I still talk with, and this is really uh, a great opportunity for teachers to not, not be into that pedagogy part of it, but that love part of it, that, that spirit, like you say, the spirit of teaching, where do we get that little spark, that superpower? How do we use it for good? I meant to ask you just real quick, are you still doing any Google um, trainings for teachers or are you um, retired, retired? Well, um, I'm, I'm working on, on doing some workshop kind of things with some districts. Um, but mostly uh, my newer passion is Google Maps and um, photography on your smartphone, which seems like a, a crazy thing. But, um, you know, people don't realize that you in your hand hold a better camera than probably you could have bought 10 years ago. And all you have to do is learn how to use it. Um, there are some programs you can use for free, some apps for free on your phone that they do everything Adobe Photoshop could do pretty much and they're, free <laughs> and they're simple. So I'm trying, I'm getting, I'm delving into um, teaching people how to use their smartphone camera and these smartphone apps, um, but also contributing to Google maps. Uh, I have over 1.2 million views of my photographs on Google maps right now. So um, that's, that's kind of cool for me. Um, and I'd like to start teaching people how to do those things. Um, but I do want to keep my Google training up because I do really enjoy um, working with teachers when they finally see the power uh, that it has in helping them and their students collaborate and work together, not necessarily be just the teacher and the students, the teacher teach the students. We're working together on these projects. Right, right. Okay. Well, that sounds wonderful. Good luck with it. And maybe um, if you have any contact information you wanted to share for teachers to get some training, I can put that, you know, in afterwards. So, but think about it. Yeah, I will. I will. Thank you so much again. And I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you. Hello again, everyone. This is your host, Linda Markley. And I'd like to invite you to nominate a teacher to be a guest on the podcast and to share their story. All you have to do 
is go to www.spiritofteaching.org and fill out the nomination form. Again, that's www.spiritofteaching.org. Also, please share, rate, and give some feedback to help us better serve you in the spirit of teaching. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to having you back next time on Teacher Tales.